Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Ryan Nutwell. And I'm Drew Perot. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. We're back this week with a new series. In this series, we're going to talk about joy. Joy is such a core characteristic of a magnanimous leader, and we wanted to understand more about how we can have joy. And why not start out with Blues Brothers? Blues Brothers is a movie about two brothers who, despite their circumstances, continue to have joy themselves and to spread joy to the people around them. As we look at the Blues Brothers, I think we can all relate. No matter what journey we've been on or where we're at, we can probably look back as humans and leaders and see the seasons in our lives that we've been in or are currently in where we're not feeling that much joy. You look around and wonder, where did it go? And how do I get it back? So as we kick off this series on joy, we're gonna work on understanding what joy really is and how joy is related to having a sense of purpose in our lives. As we look to Jake and Elwood to teach us how to beat the blues, how can we learn from these guys who are technically a couple of societal failures? At the beginning of the movie, Jake is getting out of jail. He has very few possessions. We get taken to Elwood's tiny apartment where he has almost nothing to his name and there's a subway going by outside constantly creating a ruckus. The crazy thing about this movie is that Jake and Elwood are really the mentors for all of the rest of the characters. Despite their flaws, these guys represent joy despite their circumstances. So how can we learn to be more joyful in our lives and how can we see how that joy impacts the people around us? Welcome to Wonder Tour. This is Brian. I'm here with Drew. We are in episode 90 in our new series on joy, and we are hitting the Blues Brothers in our continuing series of pop culture movies that are older than Drew. (laughs) Very true. Yeah, this is one of those movies where watching it, you can just see all the way through how much joy they were having making this movie and how much reverence they brought to it in the sense that Kind of the excuse for the movie was a bunch of Saturday Night Live style skits wrapped around all of the musicians that they adored and a very thin through line of a plot. It's kind of a reverse heist movie where they are going through a lot of the same story elements that you might see in our Fast Five or Ocean's Eleven style heist. But instead of trying to steal money, they're trying to, in a week, come up with some sort of a musical event that will manage to earn them $5,000 by providing joy to at least 5,000 people. So it's a fun setup for a movie. It drives opportunity for a lot of wacky non sequitur scenes, but also, of course, a lot of really fabulous music from people that you either have heard of or should have. You love how honest the Blues Brothers are, because despite the fact that they are constantly breaking the law here, it's funny how they're trying to do this, like you said, it's almost a heist, but they're trying to do it the honest way. Throughout this entire experience, they're constantly doing things that are causing hazards for other people, whether it's driving through a mall or gluing down the acceleration on the bus of the country band. They are always messing with people or doing things that subvert the narrative, but they do it in a very honest and genuine way to where you as the audience are like, 
why would you arrest these guys? I get that they're breaking the law, but why would you arrest them? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's got a very a playful anti-authoritarian message for sure throughout. By and large, everybody in the in, in the movie who's wearing a uniform is uh is pretty unhappy and pretty focused on just getting everybody to follow the rules and the musicians and the characters on the street and everyone are more focused on finding joy in the moments. Like I said, sort of despite their circumstances. Maybe let's start there, right? With just that observation that exactly as you said, the Blues Brothers themselves uh, don't have a lot of success or material possessions and they're not portrayed even as pursuing them necessarily. Um, but this is a movie also wrapped all around blues and R&B music. And that music is the product of oppression. That music is the product of, you know, the working, the working class, the underclass and people that did not have a lot to their name. It's about finding that joy in those moments, about finding the joy in the collective experience or the you know collective striving, which sounds like a very pretentious way to explain some of the fun stuff that happens on screen, I suppose. So let's kick this off with a what if, Brian. So one of the best scenes in this movie is the country bar when they finally get the band together. But I think leading up to that scene, there's, you know, they go through the classic heist story arc where they're going to each location to bring the band back together. And they have to convince each band member to be able to join back with them through song and through spreading joy with them. But then they get them all together and finally everybody agrees to do it. They get their instruments and they go to this country bar it's not really what anybody expected, but they're able to make the best of it. But what if the good old boys are already there when they get there? What if the other band that was supposed to play that night that they're forcefully filling in for gets there on time and the Blues Brothers band isn't able to have that experience where they get the bottles thrown at them behind the chicken wire, et cetera, et cetera? No, that was, that's great. So... Like you said, they they've tempted all of these musicians back into their old band. These people have, you know, uniformly, all of them have left better paying gigs, have left more secure financial situations with more respectable jobs, you know, working in the diner, working at the fancy restaurant and having a, a steady gig at the Holiday Inn Armada Room. They've all left those gigs to come on this journey because they are not necessarily bought into the uh, the higher purpose of the movie. At this point, the band doesn't even know about the orphanage and the tax money and anything about that. Like They just want to be back in the situation playing music with the best band that they've ever been in. But it's kind of tenuous. The band members are a little bit like, is this going to work? Like, you guys, you know, let Otis some money last time, and this seems a little sketch, and do we really even have a gig? Um, and so it's really important for, for them to have a success. And so this is a classic, you know, leadership example of taking advantage of the opportunity that presents itself, right? They're, they're completely improvising their way through this, Jake. It's just like, oh, yeah, Bob's Country Bunker. That's the place we're going to play. And then they go inside. And like you said, if the if there's a band already playing on stage, then there's no opportunity. Like, then they're just going to be driving around in the countryside looking for another bar and hoping that something happens. But they are prepared to take advantage of the opportunity. Jake is committed enough to the mission and comfortable enough improvising. That he's like, just going to walk right in and say, hey, we're the band. And he doesn't have even a hint of imposter syndrome, right? He's like, anyway, I'm going to pretend that we're ready for this until it turns out that we're okay. He said, if the other band shows up, then that opportunity is not there. And they don't get the bonding experience where they play on stage. The They're woefully the wrong kind of music for this audience. And they get a bunch of beer bottles thrown at them and the lights turned off. And, it, you know, it's it's going poorly. And they have to pivot in the middle of the show. So talk to me about the pivot here, Drew. What did you see happen? 
I think it's the joy that the Blues Brothers bring in each moment that allows them to be able to do this. So I want to stop really quickly and define joy here, Brian, before we get to our pivotal joy moment. Once we knew we were going to do the series on joy, we've been talking a little bit about what joy means, but we haven't done enough. So I think we need to sit here and work through this in our first episode in this series. The original concept for the series was joy and happiness. And as we thought about it more, we will talk about happiness, but we want to focus on joy. And that's why we decided to make the series just called joy. The difference between joy and happiness is a number of different dimensions. So let's talk about a couple of those different dimensions here. I think the first one that we see in Blues Brothers is that joy is an internally fueled thing where happiness is an externally fueled thing. And the country bar is a perfect example of that. If you're focused on being happy, then it'd be pretty hard to be happy when you're sold this dream of being able to play with this band again. And then you show up to the venue and number one, it's not what you thought it was going to be. Number two, people are throwing things at you. And number three, you've kind of been a little bit led astray. So all of the external things are playing against you. But what we get instead here is this overcoming moment where they see a success, they get a win despite that. And I think that's really, it's led internally by Jake and Elwood and partially by Elwood here, I would say, right? Yeah, no, Jake gets really frustrated, right? Because he wanted this to be triumphant and they're not responding well. And he's just kind of standing there with his arms crossed, like his his, his plan of we're just going to go be our normal amazing band selves that I remember from three years ago and people will love it isn't working, right? And so so Elwood's the one that manages the pivot. He's like, we got to figure out something these people like. And so what we see here is kind of a classic like, okay, well, with the skills that we've got, what can we do that will apply to this situation, right? So it's a ridiculous movie. So they're like, okay, we remember an old TV Western theme song that these people might like. And so we'll just play that. And because we're amazing, we'll just play it perfectly and it'll sound really cool. So they do that and it works. The audience gets into it and then the audience is excited. And so the band gets more excited. And so they just sort of survive their way through the evening playing country adjacent songs that they somewhat remember with the tools that they've got. And it's successful in a couple ways. You know, they get they get the audience into it. And so they actually, the key thing here is that they do manage to actually share joy with a bunch of people, even though they didn't have overlapping interest at the beginning of the scene. They also survive the gig, end up not earning any money, end up owing money. But the band has the experience of overcoming a trial together and remembering how much they like playing, even when it wasn't exactly the stuff that they intended to play. They have the experience of like, oh, this, okay, we are actually really good. And so it's it's just enough to keep them together to to get to the next gig to give them to give them one more chance. This movie was so good to start out with in our Joy series because it really is the only thing they have in a lot of these situations that they get into. Joy is the only thing that they have to get the band together in this moment. And it's Elwood's charisma and his internal joy that he is emulating out to the rest of the team there that even get them into it at all. Because when you reach those pivotal moments, it's really easy for people to start being negative. Let's use a workplace example. Let's say you build up this presentation, this sales pitch or whatever that you're going to make to an executive. You know, you might spend a bunch of hours working on it and perfecting a story. And then right as you're getting to the point where you want to make the pitch, something changes in the external environment. There's a downturn in the economy and everybody's trying to cut the expense money. There's a 
there's a bigger issue, a bigger storm, right, that takes hold and everybody focuses on that instead. And your whole pitch gets not necessarily thrown away, but it just gets lost in the shuffle of everything. I've definitely had that happen before, Brian, where you you build yourself up thinking this one thing is going to be the solution and that it's going to be the big break for the team. And then something externally changes and it ends up not being the big break that you had built it up in your head to be. No, that's perfect. That that absolutely happens. Right. And you can you can stand up in front of a, of a group and give a presentation, give a sales pitch, give a you know, this is a thing that we're thinking about doing. And you can very quickly find out, like, this is not at all what they're here to hear, right? Like, you know, I may have thought that we were locking in the plan for the new initiative and they're like, no, these are the 10 reasons it's going to fail. And we have all these other concerns we really want you to address first. And so there's a couple layers of people responding to this, right? If you feel like your leader's gotten you into something like that, like, I'm just here to play my role and you've totally misread the room and we're now in this really unfriendly audience throwing beer bottles at us. Right. You can you can stand back and, you know, let them take the heat. You can just try to power through or you can say, all right, well, how can I help? (laughs) You can do what Elwood does. So I like I want to circle back to your definition of joy. Elwood's a great character for this, right, because he is kind of stone faced and a little bit negative through much of the movie. Right. And he is a character who doesn't express, you know, he, he has very few possessions. He has very few successes in life. The only thing we ever see him eat is white toast. <laughs> like, you know, like he's a very monotone character, except when he's on stage and they're playing music. Right. But you can see that that's in there. Like he buys into the mission, but then he's like, OK, we're going to do the thing that we love and we're going to figure out how to share it with other people. And so that's the one thing I want to talk about with joy is if happiness is fueled by external circumstances or possessions or comforts where joy is more internally fueled, I, I believe that's true. But I also want to talk about can you have joy just by yourself or does it inherently have to involve other people? Because what we see over and over again in this is we see people that express joy because they've got an idea or a thing that they're good at. In this movie, it's usually music. But it's immediately contagious, like immediately many other people buy into it. And the act of sharing and having them enjoy it, having them participate, magnifies it immensely. And so we see that the band, the band plays the, you know, plays the theme from Rawhide with incredible confidence and joy (laughs) with no preparation at all. Okay, And the audience gets into it. And because the audience is enjoying it, then they're having more fun. They're even enjoying singing stupid songs, you know, country ballads that they have no business singing. I think as we look at all the different scenarios that they come across, well, number one, they're always together. Jake and Elwood are always together and they feed off of each other. Their joy feeds off of each other. Right from the beginning, we see Jake being negative as he comes out of prison and he's complaining about the car. And then Elwood immediately responds by saying, oh, you know what? It's not that bad. I traded the car for a microphone. (laughs) Like, yeah, we got this piece of crap car, but I got a microphone. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. You, know, you traded the caddy for a microphone? But Elwood's like, okay, I can see that. Like, you know, he understands those trade-offs. He understands the, well, the microphone's the thing that enables you to do what you love to do. So, okay, I guess I can see that. But yeah, but like going back to our example, right? Like if you can find a way to merge what you love and what you, the tools that you've got with the needs of the people around you, you might not be that far away. You might not be that far away from having a joyful moment, from having a mutual moment. Yeah, Jake and Elwood are are skilled at that in individual moments, but we see them sort of navigating this situation and it doesn't solve all their problems. They actually get farther in the hole on money and have to do some, you know, have to run away from the gig effectively. But it does 
buy them enough time. Like it demonstrates enough to the team that they're like, oh, we can actually, we're still good together. We know, we know how to do this. We need to figure out the circumstances a little better. Like we need to find a way to reach the people that really want what we do. Well, it's like they show the team a new level of flourishing because when they find the one band initially there, I don't remember what the name of the band is, but when they find the one, the couple of the guys playing in that band, they're a little bit down on the band, but they're like, this is not you guys' potential. Why are you guys doing this? Like, you guys have much more potential than this. They believe in those guys and they're like, come on, like, we have a higher calling here. We need to go do this thing. And then not only do they call that out, but then they show them what it's like to do it and what it's like to live out that higher calling. And even when they're living it out at the country bar, where it's not quite optimal and they're not even going to get paid at the end of it. And still there's some dissatisfaction among the team. They're able to see just a glimpse of the vision that the Blues Brothers are casting, where at least for a moment on stage, everybody was filled with joy, including the audience who had no business being filled with joy when this wasn't even the band that they came to see at all. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a nice you know, it's, it's adaptability and alignment. They're trying to figure it out, but it's but it's sharing that joy. And then, like I said, you know, there's the nominal higher sense of purpose for the for the movie that we're on a mission from God part is we're going to go earn some money for the orphanage. But again, the band doesn't even know about that at this point. And at the very beginning of the movie, Jake is like, I've been in jail and I've been asking you, when are we going to play again? Like his his higher purpose is really I just want to play with my band. And they just managed to merge these goals. They managed to say, all right, well, how do I how do I combine the thing that I love with the thing that I have to do? And we see that theme over and over again. And that's very much a again, considering where blues music came from, (laughs) that makes a lot of sense. Well, that's great. And it fits into the business analogy as well that we run across where, yeah, so what the situation changed a little bit externally on us. How do we find a way to use what we have? That's the joy piece of it. Use what we know and be less worried about what we don't know or what we don't control. Because Mm -hmm. happiness is very contingent on what you don't have, on what you don't control. It's very circumstantial. And it's not to say it's a bad thing in and of itself. It's just circumstantial to the fact that you have a thing or you have an experience or whatever. Now, on the other hand, joy is all about taking advantage of the things you can control. What do I know? What skills do I have? What crappy musical instruments do I have that I can utilize? You know, what people do I know in my network? I'm just going to leverage all of those things and come up with a new plan. It inspires people when you do that, Brian. I can't tell you how many times I've had those type of moments or people, not just that I've been the initiator, but other people have been the initiator when they're like, okay, so we're not going to get the funding to do the project the way that we had originally intended to. But what about this? What if we combine our ideas with this other group's ideas and we work together towards the goal. And it's like, well, actually, in the end, we got a better result than we probably would have if we did it the way that we thought was the best way in the first place. Right. Yeah. The the having all the resources can definitely, you know, can, can blunt your creativity in some situations. Again, not to say that the resources or the external circumstances are a bad thing. It's good to have resources to be able to innovate. It's good to have resources to be able to help people. It's just to say that when those things are not there, to be able to have joy teaches us something. It develops character in us, joyful character. And then that joyful character, when we do have resources, when we do have things, is going to allow us to be much more effective and much more magnanimous with those things. And I wonder what would it be like 
if we, you know, if you approach a room of people, if you approach a colleague who's having a hard time or doesn't have the resources that they need, if you approach, you know, a, a team that you got to collaborate with that you don't know very well, if you always approach them as if they're, you know, at any moment, you know, if you just did the right thing, dancing in the streets could break out, right? Like the people are, they, they've all, they're all just like waiting for an excuse to have a flash mob. They're all waiting for an excuse to turn into Ray Charles. What if you approach it as if that inherent desire to be good at something or to participate in something that looks joyful was just there under the surface in everyone and you needed to give them an excuse to express it or an opportunity to, you know, okay, congratulations, you're the tenor sax player, you're taking a solo, go. Oh, that's good. That's good. That is the mentoring mindset to see more in somebody else than they see in themselves. Because internally, they might have the potential for it. They probably do have the potential for it, but they might not be willing to act on it due to any number of things that have happened in their past, their current character, etc. But in moments, we've talked about this before, the watershed moments, the, the different times when a mentor or a leader kind of speaks things into existence that you didn't know could exist. And they, it's only possible because they could see the potential where you couldn't see the potential yourself. So I love that because the Blues Brothers do that all the time here in every situation. It seems like, oh, well, they're not going to get what they need. The apartment's blown to shreds, you know, and they just keep on going and they just keep on seeing the potential. Nope, we're on a mission from God. We're going to make $5,000. We're going to play a show. We're going to get the band back together. We can have all of those things. It might not be in this pristine condition where we get to be there at the end and people throw roses onto the stage and we get this huge hurrah, but we can have those things and we can be joyful. Right. Yeah, they can be joyful. They can they're they're doing the thing that they love and they are committed enough to the mission that, yeah, they will they'll walk out of the gig in the middle of the gig. They'll play the, the terrible Bob's Country Bunker gig. Right. Like So, yeah, no, that's cool. I like it. I think that's that people are looking for those people in their lives. Right. Whether it's the leader, like I'm going to join the band, I'm going to be one of the Blues Brothers band or whether it's just like, I'm, you know, it's just fun to walk into a room with Ray Charles or Aretha Franklin or somebody who is who's got that inherent joy and is willing to share it. All right, Brian. So I'm going to take us home with some key takeaways here. Let's do it. Number one, our working model for joy. We've talked about how joy is internally fueled as opposed to happiness that is externally fueled. Then we elaborated on that by saying joy is about focusing on the things that you can control, which is probably another way of saying it's internally fueled, versus the things that you can't control being your external environment. The Blues Brothers and some of the other characters exemplified this by the fact that they were lacking physical resources. They were lacking traditional success, but they were still able to express joy. And then we talked a little bit about what the journey is like and how joy influences that journey, saying, you know, what if at any moment the people that you meet, wherever they're at in their journey, wherever you're at in your journey, they could break out into a flash mob. They could break out into song. What if there is that potential in people? People at all times and it's just waiting for somebody to believe in it it's just waiting for somebody to let their joy bubble out the way that Elwood does yeah and the only thing I would add would be I think it's still a question in my mind whether it's cause and effect or intertwined somehow but there is certainly in this movie and in my experience too there's a social element to joy like joy is internally fueled but it's also somehow contagious, right? It's also much more powerful when you are sharing an experience with other people. I don't know if that's 100% required. Maybe that'll be a fun thing to talk about is can you be joyful in a room by yourself? 
but it definitely seems to me to be easier to sustain and more likely to happen if you're in a group doing something joyful together or sharing an experience together. So that's chicken and egg, but I think there's an element there. I think we can get into that a little bit in the next episode, Brian, as we move from looking at joy in the moment and being adaptable in order to exhibit joy towards how do we spread joy and how do we inspire people with it? Love it. Good segue. I'm looking forward to that one as we get to the the back half of this movie and closer and closer to our triumphant gig. So we'll look forward to talking to everybody next week. In the meantime, thanks so much for joining us as always. And just remember, character is destiny. 